Father, thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. Uh, it is never changing, and yet it has the ability to always be changing us. It's miraculous, Lord. It is so deep, and we can keep plumbing the depths of it and never find the bottom of it. It is certainly a clear reflection of you. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. Help us to cherish it, protect it, to read it, memorize it, to hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you. And we thank you that so many come out tonight on a little stormy evening. Um, and we pray that you would be blessed under your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Sunday, we looked at that great passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, and there we were reminded that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And we talked about that life was salvation. That's new life, right? He gives us new life. But then the godliness is that daily stuff. And I was thinking of that as I was preparing the sermon this week. I think he did the same thing in the Old Testament. I think he gave them everything they needed for salvation and daily living. And that's what he's doing in this passage. And you say, well, Jesus hasn't come. Salvation came through faith alone in the Old Testament. They had to put their faith in God that he could rescue them and save them from their sins and believe that if they offered Passover lambs, they offered the blood of, Christ, the blood of these lambs that would picture Christ in the future, they had to put their faith in that, that God would do that, not in themselves. See, soteriology has not changed. There's not a different soteriology in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament. Christ is just the pinnacle of our soteriology. And so as we look at this and we deal with the Passover and unclean folks trying to get the Passover and then clouds and pillars of fire leading them and all of that and these silver trumpets and things we'll get to quickly. We're going to have to move quickly through this passage. I, I want you to remember God is giving them everything they need to love him and walk with him. He was a good God in the Old Testament and he's a good God in the New Testament because he is what? Immutable. He does not change. So the same good God that we have the pleasure of being under through the new covenant, he is the same God of the old covenant, isn't he? It was all pointing to a better covenant, all fulfilled in Lord Jesus Christ. So let me break this uh, passage down into four thoughts. Chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 5. First, the sustaining truth of the Passover. There's a sustaining truth here that the nation needed. Look with me at these first five verses. Thus the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Now let the sons of Israel observe the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month at twilight, you should observe it at its appointed time, and you shall observe it according to all of its statutes and according to all of its ordinances. So Moses told the sons of Israel to observe the Passover. They observed the Passover in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the sons of Israel did. Well, here now we come to the reminder of the Passover. And there is a sustaining truth to sustain them, that to look back at what the Lord did is what he wants them to do, to sustain them through trials and testing and traveling. And he rescued this nation out of Egypt. And, and the children of Israel were to be encouraged every time they thought about the Passover. They were to be encouraged that God had set a day to rescue them and that he would bring them out of such slavery. Now here we begin to realize that 
with this assembling of the tabernacle, this organization of all the tribes. Remember, we talked about they're all or tribes are all set. Everybody knows where to be. The priests are divided and who's doing what chores, what's carrying, who's carrying what, and all those things. All that organization's been happening. They're preparing to really be a nomadic nation. They already are, really, since they left Egypt. And, and they're preparing to press towards the promised land. And I believe this reminder comes, and this, remind, this is all in this preparatory time from the time the temple was completed at the end of Exodus through Leviticus and here. So I think this is a, an overview of all of this, that they should not handle the Passover carelessly. Because, look, they're, they're going to be traveling. They're, they're getting ready to go. They could easily say, you know, let's get to the Passover next year. We've got a lot to do. We've got to get too, many, too million people through these hills. And he's warning them not to do that, that they are to observe. And he's very detailed, isn't he? When, you read, when I read that, first month, 14th day, I mean, over and over, he says that at twilight, and he is very detailed, do not miss this. And I think there's such important truths there, but I'll get to that a little further. Verse 5, here it reminds us that they were uh, kept entirely in accordance with Moses. It says they did all that was told, right? And I like that. They, and they had received that a year earlier in Egypt. They, they, they slaughtered the lamb. They kept it with them. The, door, the blood on the doorpost, all of that was done. And now they're a year later and they need to keep this. This is important to their spiritual health, their trust in God, uh, as well as their physical health. And so these first five verses teach us that the priority of the Passover in the lives of the nation the Passover lamb was to be the priority in their life. Isn't that amazing? Way, way back then. And yet we know Jesus is the final Passover lamb. Now, the Passover was a reminder that everything that God did for them in Egypt. It, it, it brings in all of their experiences, right? It brings in their slavery, uh, their, their loss of freedom, the the death that came with slavery and depression, all that was on them. See, it reminds them of all that where they were and then all that God did for them. And so the children of Israel were to remind themselves constantly to be dependent on the one who passed over them where he did not pass over those who did not have the blood. So they were to be dependent on this Savior, this God who rescued them out of slavery. And he wants them to rest on his mighty work, not on theirs. They have a lot of, they have a long ways to go from Sinai to the border of Canaan. And then, of course, they're going to reject God. They're going to travel for 40 years. That tabernacle is going to be with them. That Shekinah glory is going to be with them all the way through that. But they are going to be tested whether they're going to trust in the mighty hand of God or they're going to trust in themselves. And we know they fail extensively at beginning. Now, the Passover... Um, really is their very existence. When you think about it, if God does not come down and rescue them through the Passover, they would cease to exist in time. They would just been wiped out with so many other people. So God is teaching them that he is the one who has sustained them. And so this Passover points again to the blood of the lamb, this divine substitute, and, and I got thinking about this today as I was finishing this. I thought, Lord, there was a death angel in the camp. Think about that. This is an angel sent for death. And if it saw the blood on the doorpost, it passed by and allowed life to continue. 
It's astounding when you think about this. And so God wants this in front of them. You need to remember that I passed over you. I did not do what you deserved. I passed over you. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, God said this, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Wow. It's just chilling, isn't it? When you think about it. When the Lord sees us, that our faith is in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in ourselves, the death that is deserving is passed over us. That's why we don't fear death, right? Even physical death, we're not real excited to meet that if we have to. But we know to be absent from this body is present with the Lord. So it's removed from us. And so it allows us to live in certain ways that we would not be able to live if we did not have that assurance that God has passed over us in a judgment sense. So here the Passover was to be continued. Uh, It was to be a motivation for them to obey God, to do things his way. That's what he's reminding them. Don't don't forget this. Make sure it gets done. This is going to be a gospel to you so that you obey me. Don't let this get by. And so I think it's a constant reminder that he's provided for them. And they needed that reminder, right? They're like us. It's, they're quick to murmur, quick to complain. But they needed to believe God. Difficult circumstances are coming. They have enemies out there that hate them. They, they're going to travel in difficult circumstances with children and all kinds of things. Will they trust in the God who passed over them? Now, as I think about this and bring this into a new covenant type of thinking, I thought about our Savior's death. And the night before his death, he converts, and I've said this many times, he converts the Passover into the new covenant. And it isn't that we don't go back and study the Passover and understand how that all fit, but the Passover wasn't end all. That was all pointing to a greater Passover, and of course it's the new covenant. And so when, we, when I study this, I'm reminded that we have been released just like the nation of Israel. We've been released and freed from our slavery to our sin. And it took a Savior to die on and pass over the judgment that deserved us and put onto the Lamb. And so there's such great thoughts as you go through your mind as you're thinking about this. So we experience reconciliation. God changed our position. We experience the propitiatory work of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is satisfied when he looks at us that Jesus died for us. And, and we're covered. The blood covers us. And so Christ's blood has broken down the barriers between us and the Father and his opened up an experience to his goodness and grace. And just think, if the nation of Israel would have stayed focused on the, just the Passover, if they would have just focused on what God did for them, would they ever would have abandoned him at the, at the border at Canaan? Would they, would they have ever chose to follow false gods of the nations around them? And yet we know that they failed there. And so every time we think and meditate and preach to ourselves and work through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in our own lives, we remind ourselves of all the things that are possible in Christ. Fear does not have to grip us. We can trust the Lord even in some of the most difficult circumstances, and some of you have very challenging circumstances in your life. Everything from relationships to, to health to finances, there's, there's probably multitudes of things going on in here. The gospel strengthens us. Now, Back to our text, verse 2. 
we see that the nation was not only to eat the Passover, but they were to observe it. He uses this word observe over and over. And I, I think there's some thoughts there. And I, here's my thoughts. I, I think he's t- observed this because it both has a spiritual aspect. I, I, I did not give you what you deserved. I passed over. The blood protected you. But I think there's also a physical benefit. They had a long ways to go. It was a source of substance and nutrition for this journey. And so they were to remember that. They were not to pass this up at this time, a year later, now as they make their way to the promised land. So in verses 1 through 5, there's this constant reminder that they were to repeat it again and again, the Passover again and again, for the source of both spiritual and physical nourishment. Now, it pointed them to what I think a spiritual reality of this God who had the might to save, an almighty God who has the ability to save. And when they looked at that, it, it, they couldn't help but think, we were there, we watched, we were in slavery. He wiped out our enemies. He, I mean, completely handcuffed them completely. In fact, they gave them everything they needed for their journey as they marched out of Egypt. And so it's a, it's a reminder of the spiritual strength that God has. So they would depend on Yahweh day after day in their journey. And I think we see in the future when they get to the border, they forgot all that. They forgot that Passover lamb when they thought about giants that made them look like grasshoppers. They forgot about the death angel that passed over them because of the blood that was on the doorpost. They forgot about that. Later, as they settle into the land after much discipline, They later forget about the Passover and they adapt to the gods of the pagan nations. They forgot about the lamb. And they find themselves great trouble. And so Christians today, we think of the Passover, we think of the gospel, don't we? The gospel is understood, the Passover is understood in the gospel to a fullness, right? And it becomes our source and our strength for us to live the Christian life and to sustain us. You know, one of the most controversial things Jesus ever said is in John 6, 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in yourself. That's about the most controversial thing Jesus said. The Bible says after that, his disciples walked with him no more. Not the 12. But they said, that, yeah, can't do that. I mean, think about that. That, that. that statement. Jesus is saying, I have the ability through my incarnation to give you life. And everything you need to go to eternity. I mean, it's, it's an astounding thing. I, I will strengthen you spiritually. I will nourish you and strengthen you. My person, me, who will go to the cross and the incarnate God will hang there and I will be judged for you to give you the ability to live for me. And I think when we face our own Canaan borders. Anybody got a Canaan border they're facing? And we'll face them, all of us. Will we choose to listen to the gospel? I think that's what this is about. Passover, hold on to that. You're going to need it. Or will we listen to our flesh? So here we find the nation of Israel. They were to keep this Passover. They did it. The Bible says in verse 5, they did. They did all that the Lord had told them. And that is where they're going to push out from that, remembering that God had been so kind to him. For us, we're, 
we remember what Jesus did, and so we're willing to take up the cross and follow him. That's what we do. Second thought, the grace of God that leads to the Passover. This is a fascinating section 6 through 14 here. We've run into these people who are unclean. Let me read this quickly here as we go down through this. Verse 6, but there were some men who were unclean because of the dead person. So that they could not observe the Passover on that day. So they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to them, though we are unclean because of a dead person, why are we restrained from presenting the offering of the Lord in its appointed time among the sons of Israel? And Moses therefore said to him, wait, and I will listen to what the Lord will command concerning you. I think it's really interesting. He goes, wait, let me go tell God about this. <laughs> God knows all things. He goes, I'll tell you because he already knows what... Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If any one of you or of your generation becomes unclean because of a dead person or is on a distant journey, he may, however, observe the Passover of the Lord. In the second month of the 14th day, now this is 30 days after the Passover, at twilight, they shall observe it, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread, bitter herb. They shall leave uh, none of it towards the morning, nor break uh, a bone of it. According to all the statutes of the Passover, they shall observe it. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and yet neglects to observe the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people. For he did not present the offering of the Lord at the appointed time. That man will bear his sin. There's a strong language. 13 is a very amazing verse. Verse 14, if an alien sojourns among you and observes the Passover to the Lord according to the statutes of the Passover, according to the ordinance, so he shall do, you shall have one statue both for the alien and for the native of the land. Well, here really what we come to is the question is, is there a way back to the Passover once you've been unclean? I think that's the question that they're trying to get to. We're either gone on a long trip or the law that God gave us told us that if there is um, a dead person, we're unclean. If we touch it, we can't, we can't go to the temple. We can't fellowship with those type of things. As you look into verse 6, it begins to give you some additional instruction when, when one is prevented from the Passover. And I think this is a, a situation that clearly arose, right? People are being born and dying every day in our world, just like then that was happening. And so certain people became uh, unceremonially unclean because they had to deal with a dead relative. They were part of the burial crew or whatever the case may be. And they could not go to the Passover on that day. On that, that day, right? The first month of the second year and so forth. And so the question is legitimate. What do we do? In verse 8 and 9, Moses is listening and so is God. And, and he waits for the counsel of God to be given to him. By the time to get to verse 10, Moses relays now. He's got their instruction from the Lord. And so there's this beautiful thing. There's this supplemental Passover that would come exactly one month later with all of the Passover requirements, not missing any of them. They're to do it exactly. Now, verse 13 is a fascinating passage. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and yet neglects the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people. Now, that's really interesting, isn't it? What is the Lord after here? He's after carelessness. He's after laziness. He's after people that don't care about the Passover, the Passover lamb. For us, we would say that's a person that the gospel does not affect them. Hey, you know it's Passover? Yeah, but there's a good game on. 
I mean, that's, that's, I think this is the extent of it, right? He, he's saying, I think this is teaching us the seriousness of the gospel. For us in the new, under a new covenant, this is the seriousness of the gospel. That's why you and I get up on Sunday mornings, despite holidays and everything else, and we come to church. Because we're, we're committed to the gospel of, the Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, aren't we? We know what it's done for us. We know it rescued us from bondage and slavery, just like the nation of Israel saw physically. That happened to us spiritually, and so we go. We would not handle the gospel, the gathering and remembering of Christ's great work carelessly. Now, failure to observe the Passover, you see in verse 13 there, with any of this indifference or carelessness was punishable. The Bible says it's really hard to know, um, and I looked at this quite a long time, whether he's talking about death or excommunication, uh, and I'm not sure. I, honestly, I'm not sure. I, I read people had different views on that, but what is clear is they're not to be a part of God's people. So if you don't care for the gospel, <laughs> if it's just willy-nilly, a careless view of the gospel, careless view of what God has done for us, you're not to be part of his people. That's what I got out of it. And I think that's what we can take. If you want to go do some more search, whether they killed them or they're just excommunicated, you can go figure that out. But I think it's just helping us understand that they're not a part of the community. And wouldn't that be true if you don't care about the gospel enough to celebrate it, <laughs> to be under its preaching, to, to evaluate it in your life daily, uh, to to sing and worship and to be with others, maybe you're not part of the community of believers. Verse 14 is an interesting verse as well. The aliens are allowed to participate in the Passover, even if they're not born an Israelite. Uh, But they had to accept the law of God. They had to be circumcised. That means that's a real physical set apart from the nations, right? And they had to give themselves to the service of the Lord. And I thought about this today. I thought, you know, Lord, we are all aliens. <laughs> we were strangers to you. We were, by nature, children of what? Wrath. And so, really, this is us. And so, we come underneath this law of God. For us, it's the Torah. It's the didactic instruction of God of how he sets us apart. He cut away, spiritually circumcised us, cut away all the death and disease and now we give ourselves to the service of him. I think this person in this passage, or any of us who were born naturally sinners, right, depraved, we enjoy now the presence of God with the people of God. Now, again, we see the Passover is just as a gracious act of God to redeem his people. This is what he does, right? And this is what he's challenging them to do, to let the Passover motivate them in this life. And even though we go into challenging circumstances, we need this. I, I began to think about just the impact of sin, how we deal with sin daily in our lives, the gospel, and so forth. And for some reason, my mind just went to John 13. And, and there, of course, Jesus is washing the feet. The night before his death, he brings in the disciples and he begins to wash their feet. And the, the way I'm looking at this is the, power, the Passover was... supposed to be something that constantly wooed them back to trust in God and to follow him. I think the gospel constantly woos us back, right? And so in John 13, verse 6, he comes to Peter, right? And Peter's next in line. And Jesus says, uh, Peter says to him, Lord, 
do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Verse 8, Peter says, never, never, you shall not wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Isn't that interesting? And of course, Peter goes, well, then give me a whole bath. And he goes, no, no, no. You just have need to wash your feet. You are completely clean. And so here's this nation under the covenant of the, of the old covenant, under the Passover. This Passover was to remind them of what the Lord did for them. For us, the gospel constantly reminds us day after day what he has done for us. We trudge around in this fleshly world and we can even get engaged with the fleshly world at times and and yet we are clean there are times and i hope probably regularly for you and me to to get before jesus and and wash our feet of the world and so when i look at all this that's where i've really landed that there's a reminder and why they put this in this passage right before their leave i just couldn't help but get away and going he's reminding them of salvation Salvation is in the Lord. Those terms are Old Testament terms used. And so for us, the gospel not only saves us, it's amazing cleansing, restoration work in us constantly, making us more like the sun. Third thought, the grace of God that protects and guides his people. Look at verses 15 through 23. This is probably the funnest part. I I really enjoyed this one too. Now, on the day that the tabernacle was erected, that would be back at the end of Exodus, the cloud covered the tabernacle and the tent of testimonies, and in the evening it was like an appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continually, the cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted over the tent, afterwards the sons of Israel would then set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If if sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain in camp. In accordance to the command of the Lord, they set out. If sometimes the cloud remained at the evening until morning, when the cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they would set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it, the sons of Israel remained camped and did not set out, but, they, but it was lifted and they did set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. Now, that's a mouthful, isn't it? But I think you get the general idea here. And here we come to what I call this protection, the grace of God that provides protection and guidance for his people. And I think this is the divine uh, provision and instruction as they journey to the promised land. And, And as you can tell, this is a wider angle view, right? Because remember it says if they stayed for a year, and we know during their 40 years of wandering, there was times they stayed in one spot for a year. And so it's, it's stepping back and showing what God was with these people even after they rejected him at Canaan. But I think it's fitting that it goes here in the text because as they get ready to lead out, as they get ready to head out, God is leading them. He's directing his people 
And that's the clear set out. Um, they begin to set out, the Lord is with them. Now, verse 15 really links you to the passage in Exodus 40 there. That's when Shekinah glory, end of Exodus, you remember that passage when we're studying, Shekinah glory came and filled the, filled the temple. What an amazing scene that must have been. But here, interesting enough, the passage describes the pillar going before the people, sometimes standing over or upon the tabernacle, sometimes the pillar um, is in fire at, time, at nighttime, and other times it's a cloud, but it's always with them. The cloud or the pillar is always with them. This is a miraculous display of God and his power. I, I mean, I, I sit there and I study this, and I try to get my mind around there, and being in Sinai not too long ago, um, and standing there, I remember thinking, envisioning what that looked like at night. I, I remember, I've, if you remember, I was on Sinai. I got there right before the sun went down. I was up there for a couple hours, and it was pitch dark coming down. And I thought, wow, the, the Shekinah glory of God over the tabernacle. What that must have been like as it lit up everything. And uh, uh, it's just kind of astounding to think about. So this is this miraculous display. There's no other gods of the nations or the Philistines or Canaanites or Hittites or Preserites or anybody otherites. They have none of this. This is God showing his miraculous power. And, and so as we get to them about ready to set out, the nation has seen God's Shekinah glory. But now this Shekinah glory is going to lead them in a pillar of fire. It's going to lead them in a cloud. And they're going to, they're going to set out. And, and I just kept thinking over and over today. I said, he's showing them that he's going to be with them. And I thought that's amazing because you go back to Exodus 33, 32, 33. They've bowed down to a golden bull calf. They've abandoned it, God in a sense in their trust in God. Moses is probably dead. He's not been up there for 40 days. It's all kinds of stuff going on up there. Let's get a new God. I mean, all that happens. Moses comes down. He's just overwhelmed with frustration throws those tablets, breaks them. He said, God, I can't do this. God invites him back up on the mountain, and he goes, look, I'm not going if you're not going. Remember that? It was one of my favorite passages, because, you know, things are hard sometimes, and you want to make sure God's with you, right? I'm not going if you're not going, God. Because God said, look, I'll just wipe them all out, start a new nation with you. It's testing Moses. It's testing him. You're going to trust me? And so Moses said, yeah, but I'm not going without you. And so I think when we look at this, when we study the pillar and the fire, pillar fire and the cloud and all that stuff, it's just God being with this people. And I find great encouragement in that. Notice in verse 18, we find the command of the Lord. This is interesting. I, I wrote some questions in my notes as I was thinking through this. Was that command verbal from God to the nation or through Moses? Or was that command in the movement of the cloud or the pillar of fire. So what's he doing here? At the command of the Lord. But we just had this extensive passage saying, if the, if the cloud or the pillar moves, you move. If the cloud or pillar stays, you stay. But here it's called the command of the Lord. In fact, the Hebrew word there for command is mouth. So it seems that it indicates an oral command, and yet the instruction says move when the pillar or the cloud moves and don't move when it doesn't move, right? I don't know what it is. Did the Lord speak through that? And I, and I think, as you, as a, here's my conclusion. Whatever he did, they knew it was God. <laughs> Whether they heard his voice out of there, but he maybe spoke through Moses. But when that moved, they knew that was God's command. When God does something, you follow. That's, 
I think that's the long and the short of that thought. And I think that's a beautiful reminder under the new covenant. You and I have within us the presence of God. In the Old Testament, he's showing him, I'm here, I'm in the tabernacle, I'm in this pillar of fire, I'm in this cloud, I'm commanding you. You and I have even a greater, a greater relationship because God himself in his spirit has taken up residency within each believer. And now we have this beautiful personal relationship with the almighty God, the God of the Old Testament of Numbers 9 is now living within us through the spirit of God. Isn't that beautiful? And all that comes through faith alone in the final Passover lamb. So I think as we consider the profound grace of God that he remains with these uh, complainers and murmurers, murmur, 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 what is that? They murmured. Um, and, and they turn away from him. He stays with them. You know, you're going to see that as we go. We're going to get into it real quickly here because we're going to, we, it actually, they cover a lot of time to get right to the border pretty quickly. Um, and and they're going to turn around and go out, and he is going to remain, and he's never going to leave them, even in their uh, rebellious state. I find great encouragement in that. And though he rebukes them, he disciplines them, sends snakes in at times, swallows up some people, he remains with them. And I love that. So not only did the cloud and the pillar of the nation um, show his presence, there's also a protection to it. God's there. I mean, if I'm a Philistine and I'm watching over the mountains at this group that's over there and I'm a spy because uh, doubtlessly they're watching this nation. It didn't take very long. Did you hear what God did with his nation? Did you hear what he did to the Egyptians? I mean, so if you're in the area, if you're a Canaanite, Preserite, Hittite, whateverite, you got eyes on these people. And as you look, here is this burning fire, pillar of fire and a cloud and and so there's great protection there. And in fact, we already saw it when they left Egypt um, in Exodus 14, 24. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of Egyptian into confusion. So, so when we look at his presence, though it is miraculous in an incredible way in the Old Testament, he's protecting them. Now, now, let me make a jump here. That's pretty miraculous that he was in a pillar of fire. I think it's more miraculous that he lives within me. Isn't that miraculous? He, he in me, and in you. I, I just, I find chills go up and down me. And so we see this protecting grace of God displayed in a very fierce way. You know, this pillar of fire, and you can't come close to it. Everybody's supposed to be back when, the, when it fills in the temple. And yet there's this tender love protecting his people and drowning their enemies and, 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 and protecting them from those who would come after them. And so the grace of God is seen not only in his presence, not only his protection, but also in his guidance. Notice he's guiding them. The verses say over and over, when, when it got up and moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. And so you see the grace of God in his divine guidance. He's in control of where they went and when they went there and when they stopped and when they went. He does all that. He's steering them away from potential enemies. Even when they came out of Egypt, Egypt, remember he says he did not want to take them up towards the coast because the Philistines were there. He took them a long way around to protect them. You can make your own application here, can't you? You go, God, I don't know why I'm in this waiting room forever. Anybody been in the waiting room? I've seen you in there. <laughs> 
Or, or you're going through a difficult trial and it seems like, Lord, you know, I think if we just went like this straight line right over here, it might be easier. But he's got you out around the desert and bringing you in the back door. Because he's right, and that's part of his guidance. That's what he does. And he's guiding you away from potential enemies and things that are out there that you don't know about. This kind of stuff impacted David greatly. David said in Psalms 32, 8, he said, I will instruct you, David speaking, God through speaking through David, I will instruct you and teach you in the ways which you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. What an amazing verse. And so, Christian... Jesus is the way and the life because he's the truth to us and, and we respond to him because of that. And, and just the setting of that great verse, Thomas is doubting, right? Thomas is going, what, you're leaving? <laughs> and so Jesus reminds him, I'm the only way to the Father. Remember, he says, How, Lord, will you show us the Father? And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so he reminds him, I'm on the way, on the way there. And so he's guiding and directing us back to the Father. He's done it through salvation, and he's doing it through this life as he conforms us to the image of his son. He's bringing us through Jesus back and guiding us there. And some of us have very, very different trips. Some of our patterns are a little different. And so we trust him. Also, I think the nation's experiencing a new communion with, with Yahweh here. He's, he's with them. Lord spoke, the Bible says the Lord spoke with God as to face to face as one would speak with a friend. He's there with them. And he's in a real communing type of relationship with this nation. This is why he doesn't want them to forget the Passover. And Moses, of course, is this picture of a coming perfect mediator. It's a foreshadowing, looking forward to type, looking forward towards the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, when we think about the gospel and we think about what he does for us, the gospel is not just for forgiveness. As great as that is, the gospel is about new life and restoration and fellowship with God. He makes old things that have been broken new. He does amazing things with the gospel in our life. And so we keep preaching it to ourselves. Well, let me get to our last thought. And good, I'm doing okay with time. Chapter 10. And I think this is one whole section in here. It's why I broke it up this way. Uh, the grace of God that alerts his people. Chapter 10, 1 through 10. The Lord uh, spoke further to Moses saying, Make yourself two trumpets of silver of hammered work, and you shall make them and you shall use them for the summoning of the congregation and for having the camps to set out. When both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the door of the tent of the meeting. Yet if only one is blown, then the leaders and the heads of the divisions of Israel shall assemble before you. But when you blow an alarm, the camps that are pitched on the east side shall set out. And when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are pitched on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown for them to set out. When, co when convening the assembly, however, you, are to, you shall blow without sounding the alarm. So there's, there's different notes here going to be blown. Verse 8. The, priest, uh, the priestly sons of Aaron, moreover, shall blow the trumpets, and this shall be for you a perpetual state throughout your generation. When you go to war in your land against the adversary who attacks you, then you shall sound an alarm with trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. Good language there, huh? Also in the days of your gladness and in your appointed feast, on the first days of your month, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings, over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be as a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. 
Well, here now, just after the understanding that God is going to use the cloud and the pillar to determine the movement of the nations, now he inaugurates the use of these trumpets to announce departures and other things. And, and so he's, he has, I think, I think I broke it down right, in five different uses of the trumpet here. Um, verse 3, it's first to call the whole congregation together. In verse 4, and that's important, right? Hey, we're all leaving. Uh, this, and there must have been a certain tone and certain way they blew it once and twice and so forth. So we saw in the text, they knew it was get up and go. This is a vagabond, uh, wandering group of people at this point, right? Second, there was a call. The trumpet was blown for the call of the leaders, right? Another, I think one it said for that, for the leaders to get together. That was important because if they got to communicate truth to the whole nation, uh, they didn't have Instagram or anything like that. Uh, you go to the leaders, the leaders go to the ones under them and so forth, and, and they spread that message. Third, the sounding of an alarm was to signal departures, uh, verses 5 through 8, and there's quite extensiveness in that. Fourth, they were to sound the alarm when they went to war that they would remember the Lord, that he would save them. Very important. I think you would really love that trumpet blast. Lord, you know, if we're going into there, we're, we don't know how, they're gonna, we're, how we're going to do with Jericho, but we're going to do this, right? Fifth, during the days of festivals and sacrifices. Uh, the Psalms talk about this a little bit. Psalms 81.3, blow the trumpets at the new moon, at the full moon, and on our feast days. So they never forgot. This was a very important thing. And when those horns blow, those, those are really encouraging things. <laughs> Do you know his anniversary is this next week? 35 years. We're looking forward to that. But I was thinking about this today, babe. Uh, at our, at our um, wedding, I don't know who made this decision, but somewhere along the line, we decided to have this grandfather, this father, and a son do this trumpet blast when, we came, when she came down the aisle with her father. And they practiced so well. They did so good in practice. You can still see in the, you know, VHX <laughs> tape. That's how old we are. Um, that when they start blowing and they missed every note. And it, it, was such a, it was such a great idea. It worked so good on the night before. You know, it was this blast. And here comes this beautiful woman dressed in white coming down the aisle. I, I mean, I had visions of rapture, you know, all that stuff or, um, in my head. And then it was this terrible... <laughs> I thought about that. I said, I don't think that's what happened here. I think when these horns blew, particularly in war, man, it charged them. I had a good friend who's with the Lord now, um, his church, every, every Sunday before the service would start, they would blow an old ram's horn in the back. And that would signal the start of the church going. Uh, newcomers really kind of scared them to death. Um, <laughs> the doors lock, you know, horn goes off. And so you got to be careful of some of that stuff. But, but it was meant, it's meant to, and I love that the psalmist says, is blow the trumpets, a new moon, the full moon's a feast. Hey, God's with us. See what he's doing? He's, he, this is the locker room talk before we head out, right? Remember the Passover. Remember the gospel. Remember this, that, that God spared you and saved you from, from total destruction in Egypt. And he's rescued you. Remember those things. Keep this. Don't, don't handle this in a willy-nilly way. And blow trumpets and let me, let me show you that I'm with you and, and follow the cloud and the pillar. And you can just see this. And so God would go on to, to do this, and they did this throughout, and enemies. And I mean, you know, we'll get into Jericho not too far from now, but man, they blew trumpets and everything fell down, didn't it? Can you imagine that? Seven days, you keep, guys keep going around. 
We've already heard all the stories. Whew. So the battle belongs to the Lord, I think, is the idea here. And the trumpet blast reminded them that God could save them and they need to be reliant and trusting in him. Well, the word of God's still blasting, isn't it? It's really our trumpet in a lot of ways. The word of God trumpets truth, right? And we, we assemble under a good fight under the banner of the almighty God and we are reminded to follow our great leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why we come to preaching. This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we gather. Because it's hard. There's wars going on. Don't you know that you wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? You know that passage in Ephesians? The principalities and powers, right? And then we get into Galatians and where there's this war against our flesh that's going on. And so we come under the blast of God's word and under the new covenant. Man, these alarms are great, right? It's done. It's finished. The new covenant is issued in. And we have new life in Jesus Christ. And so there's preaching and there's worship and there's prayer. And these, these are alarms to remind us. And the word of God's there to remind leaders to be loving shepherds of the flock. It's reminding the church to, to trust God in unsettling times. There's, there's a banner going up and a blast going up that no matter what the administration of America or any other nation is doing, God wins. And so we're biblical conservatives, <laughs> right? We talked about that on Sunday because we can trust God. Lots of blast in the scripture, Psalm 98.6, when the trumpets and the sound of the horn go off, shout joyfully before your king. Psalms 47.5, God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. And then you get into Revelation, and the trumpet is used quite a bit there, Revelation 1.10. I, in the Spirit, on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. You, you know, it turns around, it's God, it's Christ, right? Uh, Revelations 4.1, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open to heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. And so, God's still speaking in it with a trumpet. Uh, Revelation 8, um, we get into the trumpet judgments, right? And, and the angel says, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound it. Whew, things are going to get rough. But for us, we, there's a couple other trumpet blasts that we really love, right? That, or, or like a trumpet blast. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Still some trumpets coming. Right, we're wandering. I mean, not wandering. We, we are not wandering aimlessly. We know where the Lord's going. But, but it is trial out here in this world, isn't it? Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. That, I think that's the lesson here as you set out in life. Father, thank you for a sweet time in your word tonight. Thank you for strengthening me. I'm so grateful for a text like this um, to be reminded of the preciousness of that Passover. It was all pointing to a greater Passover lamb. One that would have to bleed no more. It was one and done. 
And there are no more Passover lambs. And so it teaches us that the death angel passes over us. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no separation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we have new life. We're free from our slavery to sin. It doesn't have to be our master anymore, but we can be mastered by righteousness, things that are right according to God. And so we pray that you would help us do that as a church, as individuals, as families. And Lord, may we continue to march forward with you leading us all of the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.